0: This morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 103 again. We were in the first six verses, and uh, we're going to come back to it. Uh, Okay, who all went? Anybody go to the parade this week? Anybody? Oh, we got some peeps. All right. All right. I saw some pictures on Facebook. Yeah, so uh, Cleveland Cavaliers finally win. Yeah, yeah, all right. Amazing how many years, fifty plus years uh, talking about being cursed, never being able to win the drive, the fumble, the decision, the whatever's um, you know it was interesting watching it on TV. Um, I watched over over the lunch hour there, just uh, some of it, just insane seeing that many people there, one point three million people and uh, and you watch the whole thing play out and um, the chaos of it, and, and what was so amazing, the chaos, because they, they, you know, they estimated about a million people would come, and they planned for about 100,000, and uh, something like that. But it, it was amazing, because here you have something where our nation is so divided on so many things, and yet 1.3 million people can get together, and there was an accidental shooting, I get that, but for all practical purposes everybody had a good time everybody got along with everybody and it was because of a basketball team and a city and i I just sit back and go and i I don't want to i don't want to diminish that this is great and everything um and, and there's one point, I don't know if you saw the picture where LeBron James, you know, he's got the big picture on that building where he's like this. And I don't know whether he's just done the little chalk thing, but then he's in his car and they superimpose him and he's standing like this. And, and I just felt like, bro, you may not want to do that very long because like lightning could strike you at any moment. Because there was this moment where you sat there and you went, this is just a game. And Wow. I mean, it's great. And I, trust me, I love the whole thing. And I was yelling and screaming. My kids were looking at me like I was weird. And, my, you know, Joel and I, we were watching the game. We were going nuts. I mean, I, I'm all over it. And I loved it. And I loved the celebration and everything. But I thought to myself, as I'm looking at this in spiritual terms, and, and I hope I just didn't ruin your whole parade, <laughs> no pun intended. Um, but can you imagine the euphoria of the moment we see Christ? Can you imagine that moment where we see him the only one who has the right to do this. And, and you sit there and you stand there with the, the thousands upon ten thousands and the whole host of heaven and everyone is focused on Christ. And it's amazing. And, and not only that, I was listening, they, they, they talk about what happens in cities like this, like who win a championship, especially when it's been so long, and the psychology of it. And the economy of it, the impact of that on Cleveland, they say, is going to be huge. The millions that are going to be made over the next year or two years because we want a championship, the psychology of it, of people feeling confident about themselves because we're not losers anymore, we're not the mistake on the lake, right? (laughs) You've heard all the different things. We're now champions. It's crazy, the psychology of it. We just, you know, Brian was talking about identity, you know, what Christ says about us. And, And it's amazing what a basketball game will do for a city and for people. But what's even more amazing is when you think about the permanence of what Christ does and what he says about us and how it can change us forever. I don't know. That was free. Um, it has nothing to do with our message, but I, I just am like looking at those things and I'll get off of it. Sorry. Psalm 103. Um, here we go. Uh, we just read uh, the first six verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And we talked about the benefits last week of he forgives, he heals, he redeems, he crowns, he satisfies us. And sorry, I got a little southern there. Um, Verse 6, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. It goes on here. What happens is David starts to... He's going down this road, he says, Hey, I want to list the benefits of, of what God does, and, and he goes on in this list and talks about how he works out righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Which I think is a benefit that we often don't think about, especially when you, you see injustice happen and you see it happen over a long period of time, and you go, Well, Lord, when are you gonna work out the justice of this? But he says he works out the justice. He makes sure that righteousness wins in the end. He made known his ways to Moses and to the people of Israel. It's a reference actually to Genesis, um, or actually rather Exodus in verse or chapter 34. Moses has just come down the mountain, found out that Israel, while he was up there, built a golden calf because they didn't know if he would ever come back, and they started worshiping the golden calf. Moses breaks the Ten Commandments. God gets mad. Moses is mad. God takes 3,400 lives, I think, something like that, in judgment. Kills people. Moses comes back up to the mountain to get... Second, uh, second set of Ten Commandments, and he comes up with his request, and he says, God, I want to know you. Would you, would you reveal yourself or teach me who you are? Because Moses is still learning who God is. And, and as he's up there on Mount Sinai, the Lord descends in a cloud, and this is Exodus chapter 34, verse uh, 4, 5, and 6, and uh, the Lord descends in a cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him, and in answer to his question, Moses said, Would you teach me who I am? This is what God said The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the and the the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So he says, teach me who you are, and he says this God who is, and you see a direct quote here in verse 8. When Moses says in verse 7, he makes his ways known to Moses' acts to the people of Israel, then verse 8 is a direct quote right out of Exodus 34. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. God defines himself as compassionate, and some translations say that. He's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. One who restrains anger and acts kindly, Another scholar says this, compassion, if you have different translation, it would say that. That's uh, the translation I was studying in or looking at. It, compassion appears in contexts that involve human sin and divine anger and the ultimate resolution of God's forgiveness. The dominant inclination of compassion is towards forgiveness in the face of sin. And God's describing himself to Moses saying, you want to learn who I am? I am someone who has compassion. Slow to anger. I'm compassionate, gracious. He said he was bounding in love. Oh, the actual literal word is hesed, if you want to say that um, and it's all over the Old Testament. This word, Hebrew word hesed, is loyal love. It's kindness. And, and the essence of it, as one scholar says, is it's to do the best in and make the best of a relationship. And, and that's who God says he is. I am essentially this, above all things. I am this God who loves and wants the best for you and will do the best for you. I was reading a, a book a long time ago. I had a quote out of it from uh, Rich Mullins. He's a Christian artist that died a number of years ago. But uh, he has this quote about God's love and, and how God loves us and thinks of us. And this, he said this in a concert one time. He said, some of us are so afraid that God's not going to look at us. So we're out there doing all sorts of things to get God to take notice. But folks, God notices you. The fact is he can't take his eyes off of you. However badly you think of yourself, God is crazy about you. God's in love with you. Some of us even fear that someday we'll do something so bad he won't notice us anymore. Well, let me tell you, God loves us completely. He knew us at our worst before He ever began to love us at all. And in the love of God, there are no degrees, there's only love. The benefit of knowing God is knowing that you're loved, they're together that he's always going to have our best interest in mind. As he goes on, David says he will not always chide in verse 9, or discipline, nor will he keep his anger forever. Some people have a view of God that he's this angry God, hellfire, brimstone, and just out to destroy us at the moment we we mess up, kinda of like what Rich was even referencing there. He's, he's God's kind of like this rage, cosmic rage monster that just wants to wipe us out. Created this just simply to bring anger on us. And and David's point is, no, 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 that's that's not who God is. There is such a thing as discipline. God will discipline. The book of Hebrews talks about this discipline from God, this chiding, as it were, and and discipline is never easy. It's never fun. I remember growing up with my parents, and I never enjoyed it. There's times when God has disciplined me. It has not been easy, nor has it been fun, but it's always been true that I've seen this, that he will not chide, always chide or discipline, nor will he keep his anger forever. And I remember moments where I, got in, I was in big trouble, sent to my room, swats, the whole, that's you know back when you could spank and everything, and I got swats, and oof. And I remember my dad coming in and sitting down with me and talking to me. And I could tell he wasn't angry at me. And that makes such a difference. And that's God. That's God. He comes in and he sits down and he makes sure we understand that he is not angry at us. He loves us. His anger won't last. Hebrews says in chapter 12, God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. Mm-hmm but sorrowful, yet those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields a, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. See, when God disciplines, it's for purpose, it's for our good, it's for holiness, it brings the peaceful fruit of righteousness. He goes on to say he will... Uh, In verse uh, 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. It's mercy, right? That's the definition. He has this loyal love and gives us. He's inclined towards forgiveness. I don't know if you ever saw that picture. um, It's a famous picture of a, a young gal is, uh, during the Vietnam War back in 1972. Uh, I think it's Phan Thai Kim Phuc. Um, it was a nine-year-old girl. There was uh, a village that had been attacked and bombed by napalm. And uh, you saw this picture of her running out of the village with no clothes on. Young girl, like uh, nine years old, I think. And uh, John Plummer um, He was a minister at a church, Bethany United Methodist Church. And uh, he was responsible for setting up the airstrike on this village. And twice, he made sure, twice, he wanted to make assurances that there was no one in the village when they bombed it. And they said, no, it's clear, no, it's clear, it's twice, and so he authorized the strike and the pictures came out that it obviously was inhabited. In 1996, so this is almost more than 20 years later, Kim, he found out was living, was not only alive, but living in Toronto. And uh, she was invited to come in 96 to speak at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in uh, Washington. And Plummer found out about it and actually went to hear her. And she addressed the crowd and she said if she ever was able to meet the pilot of the plane or those responsible for the bombing of that village and, and the burns that she had all over her body, she would tell him she forgives him and that they can't change the past, but she hoped they could work together in the future. Plummer was able to get word to her that day that he was there. And uh, he came, she invited him, and got word, and they somehow arranged this meeting. And he writes of it that she saw my grief and my pain and my sorrow. And he's writing about this in an article in a newspaper And she held out her arms to me and she embraced me and all I could say was, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, over and over again. And at the same time she's saying, it's all right, it's all right, I forgive you, I forgive you. Plummer learned in that moment that Kim had become a Christian in 1982. Every person, I think, who hears this story knows that on any given day, we're John Plummer in desperate need of forgiveness. What kind of God do we really serve? G.K. Chesterton calls the forgiveness, this compassion of our God, the furious love of God. We deserve to be accused and condemned, and God has compassion and will give grace. We deserve anger, and God gives us loyal love, and he won't be angry for at us for very long, and he pours out his anger on Christ and gives us forgiveness. You know, I could give some great definitions of compassion. They look great on paper, but God's love is not something that's tied to paper and to a little video clip. It's, it's real. It's, it's in us. And David says, praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. Praise the Lord. In verse thirteen through eighteen, David shifts and he starts kind of a different theme as he talks again about the steadfast love of, of God. And it says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. For as for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over and it's gone, and in its place. And its place, think about this, its place knows it, no more. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. As for man, men, women, our days are like grass. We flourish like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and then it's gone And its place remembers it no more. David goes on to talk about this idea of God and and how he sees us. He actually references those who fear him. This word fear comes three times in this passage. There's two things about fear, two ways you can look at fear fear is born out of apprehension of punishment for sins committed against God, you could see it that way, and fear is also born out of a desire not to to offend God because of how much we would love him. And he says his compassion is directed towards those who fear him, and and what does that look like? So he illustrates it, and and what he says is his compassion is shown in the fact that uh, he gets how temporary we are. That's a, that's a weird thing to think about. Flower comes, strong wind comes out of nowhere, blows it over, and that's it. We just had this big plant that flowers. I can't even remember the name of it. And then it was all growing up, and then the next day or something like that, or maybe over a couple of days, it all drooped, and it's all on the ground. And it doesn't take much to wipe out flowers, and that's what we are that's life no one can escape it people try to we're up against a clock that's ticking right it was a great illustration of this actually that night the Cavs won the championship and i don't know if you watched the when they're up there on the stage with the trophy and all the teams up there, and then there's just one guy that's standing out. If you know basketball history and everything, you're like, what is this guy doing up there? And it was Bill Russell. Bill Russell's standing up on the stage. He's got his white goatee, and I'm sitting there going, why is this guy up here? Well, apparently they had named the MVP trophy of the playoffs this past year after Bill Russell, and so now it's the Bill Russell MVP trophy, I guess. Um, And so he's standing up there on the stage, and and I'm looking, I'm watching this thing, and my son says, who's that dude? And I'm thinking, that's what it's come to. Like, two generations probably don't even know this guy or ever seen this guy play. I never saw him play. I was born in 1971. Um, Bill Russell, and some of you are like, who's Bill Russell? Like, I don't know. Bill Russell Um, won 11 championships or championships um, in the NBA, 11 titles, 11. I mean, Michael Jordan's the next one was six. Bill Russell won 11. It gives perspective on things because all of a sudden you start hearing, oh, LeBron James is like going to be the greatest player ever. 11. He's got a long ways to go. And you just want to say, slow down there, Sparky. Um, But that's the problem. Bill Russell's like a flower. He bloomed, it was beautiful, and most people don't even remember him. The greatest player to ever live. My son's saying, who's that old guy? The sad thing is, any NBA player right now could take Bill Russell on one on one and destroy him. I mean, that's just life, right? It's so frustrating. There's a story about Winston Churchill. He was at a dinner party, and he was actually, as it happened, standing next to a daughter of one of the former prime ministers of England. And uh, they started talking. He said, how old are you? And she said, I'm 19 years old. And uh, he said, and his response was, according to her words, were, I'm, and he says, and I, I'm 32 years old. I'm thinking, man, when I was 32 years old, I barely could lead a church of 130 people. And this guy at 32 was leading a country. And he says to her, I'm 32 years old. He says, I'm older than anyone else who counts, though. <laughs> His arrogant self. And then he goes into this impromptu commentary. And it's really on Psalm 103. And he says, Curse our mortality. Curse ruthless time. How cruelly short in the allotted span for all we must cram into it. We're worms, all worms. And he says, But I do believe I'm a glowworm. It's awesome. Everything in us is, it's temporary, and we feel it, and we know it. This past week, I was just visiting um, with Gladys, Gladys Wilson, and and many of you, I mean, this is just another illustration. Many of you may not even know who Gladys is. Gladys is the oldest living member of our church. She's 99 years old. I see Scott uh, over there. Um grandson. Gladys is, uh, she's she's dying. She's uh, in hospice right now. 99 years old. Loves the Lord. And I think, I was sitting there going, she's just like one, one breath from seeing Christ. 99 years, that goes fast. That's 2000. She was born in 1918 or 17. Sorry. 1917. How fast it goes. It got me to thinking. You read these verses and it is so discouraging and depressing. And you're like, ugh. And then God says this. But the compassion, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to, keep, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his rule in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. It's as if D- David does two things here. He does one, he says, we're, we're temporary, we're temporary, we're dust, we're like a flower. He says, but God knows us in that and he pulls us into permanence. He pulls us into eternity. He roots us in something that doesn't fade or perish, and it's himself. It's as if God says, I know how hard it is in life. I know how hard it is, the sorrow that comes, the weight that comes, when we see an age so quickly and the end comes. Come to me, and you'll find permanence. Come to me, and you won't die and live forever in death, but you will raise to new life. You'll be in my kingdom. And I I just remember sitting there next to to Gladys going, she, she could see Christ in the next moment, and this could all be over. And David, with this in mind, says, Bless the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who do his work. Now he starts to just pull everybody in. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, us, and all places of his dominion, us. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, me. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. We praise him for his love. We praise him for his compassion. We praise him that he sees us in the middle of our lives and all that goes on, the sin that we have, the temporary nature of our lives, and, and he loves us. He loves us. And so we're going to spend the last few moments here, just like we did last week, praising God and uh, remembering all the benefits, all the things he's done for us. Invite uh, Brian and the the team to come back up.